welcome to Podship Perth. This is your host, Jared Blumenfeld. If I had a Growing up, I loved making things. I would hammer together old pieces of wood to make a raft. I'd go next door to work on my bike with Percy Stellabras, and I'd sit under our cedar tree with Shane, Yanni, and Jesse working on plans for a spaceship. Because my mom was a sculptor, we always had scraps of metal and clay with which to supplement our inventions. Lego was a backup for the rare times we didn't have actual projects like searching for Roman coins. If something broke, we'd learn to fix it. These skills have stayed with me my whole life. They give me a sense of independence and resiliency that no matter what happens, I'll be okay. This week, Brenna Sheldon and I explore the maker movement. We visit maker spaces where people share tools, ideas, and knowledge. We talk to Tim Anderson to get the inside scoop on the life of a maker. Tim Anderson was one of the original creators of the 3D printer, and he's the author of the Heirloom Technology column in Make Magazine. Tim is the most prolific author on Instructables.com. Instructables are step-by-step directions for do-it-yourself projects, and Tim has 226 projects, ranging from building your own boat to making dried seaweed. Brenna and I go and visit with Tim at his maker farm. In Alameda, an island in the San Francisco Bay, we are met at the gate by a pig. So, Tim, what's the name of the pig? That's Wondrous the Party Pig. So tell us a little bit about where we're at. This is Alameda Maker Farm. We've got about an acre here, and there's like 25 members, and they've all got different projects. Uh, we've got a arborist who um, makes lumber out of backyard trees. Uh, we've got some artists who make uh, big festival art. We've got a theater troupe that performs in local parks. We've got a blacksmith who's also a preschool teacher. Did they find you or do you find them? It's all word of mouth. We've never had an ad. I want people who I can learn from how to be good for the earth. It's not just like theoretical. It's how you can make stuff. Our problems are practical problems. We need practical solutions. Show me how it is that you manage to not destroy the planet. So people hear about the maker movement a lot. Like what what is the, what does it mean? Uh... Do it yourselfing, um, hands-on. It's the ultimate personalized, customized thing. Your emotional connection to the thing that you make is, I think the best thing that you make is the thing you make for yourself. Or, you know, the best painting is the one that your grandkid makes. How did it first come about that you thought of this as a way of helping heal the planet? Well, culturally, I was raised during the Great Depression, and uh, money could be used for anything except spending it. Like... The, not the 1932 Depression. Culturally, it lasted a really long time. I'm really excited and, and hopeful about this post-apocalyptic future. When there's only a drop of oil left, they're not going to be driving like things with jet engines. They're going to be like pedaling their moped, right, and not even running the motor. The thing that I like about this is that you turn shit that you wouldn't normally think could be reused into stuff that is reused. Yep. Yep. The original sin of like being the original user of something as long as you're not the original user, you don't have the original sin. It's all just f- morally free. I just did a show on guilt. I wasn't convinced by that show. I think we need more guilt. Great. Yeah, a lot more guilt. 
this is a solar golf cart. Every golf cart should have solar panels on the roof. There's no reason not to. Can that be, is it just drip charging it or is it like fully allowing this thing to move? This one charges the batteries. You go a little bit faster when you're driving south though, because there's more sun on the solar panels. This is going to be a comedy show for people with a very wry sense of humor. Doesn't 3D printing, which you're credited with inventing, lead to the production of lots of new stuff that we actually don't need? You know, 3D printing is the solution to everything. It's also, especially the problem of boredom among journalists. Anytime a journalist gets bored, they just need to, like, write an article about 3D printing, and then they just won't be bored anymore. Why is that? Because it's exciting. And you can is say, it? You can say what everything, I mean, what's more exciting than 3D printing? It is so versatile. You can say anything about it. Well, you invented it, so it sounds like you're just bored of people asking you. I, I learned the wrong lesson from life. You know, I made 3D printers from junk. Any habit is an addiction, and uh, I have a habit of building stuff out of junk. And so, you know, when you're an addict, you know, people are constantly trying to give you whatever it is you're addicted to. That's a law of nature. Let's go outside the gate now and see what people left me last night as, as gifts. <laughs> Doors are really good. I, I like doors. Yeah, those are, those are nice ones. And it looks like uh, one of them has both sides of the hinge. This really great homeless camp that's getting built in uh, East Oakland, doors are on the list of things they, they want. Perfect. So we could bring them something they need. Yeah, yeah. And uh, homeless camps are, 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 are hot spots of really fast R&D. One of the cool ideas on how to house the homeless is tiny homes. And you seem to have a lot of them right around us now. This little building we're standing by, right here, uh, that's a, a fireproof tiny house um, made out of insulation panels. They built an 80-pound building in a, in a few hours, and then they put uh, basalt fiber scrim on it and then stuccoed it, and it can't burn, it can't rot, it would probably float. Everybody wants to live in a tiny house because it's a natural way to live, and there's this book about how to solve homelessness. It's called Tent City Urbanism, and it's about how homeless people figure out how to solve homelessness and how to try and convince your local town to let them do it. Um, and there's all sorts of interesting observations about just living in a group of small structures, fosters people caring about each other, encouraging each other to be good. It's people like sitting around a campfire, basically, or a couch or a TV, whatever, in a living room with the TV off. The TV is not running. So everybody wants to live in a tiny house. I think in, you, in my generation, your kids, like, they want to live in smaller structures. We understand that the world is changing. We don't need all this junk. So do you have a lot of media interest in the tiny houses? Let's say you're a news producer and you locate a tiny house village somewhere. Well, I've been that tiny house and the news producer uh, brings in a crew, tries to get an interview. Uh, if you don't let them, here they, they got a drone crew um, and drone, droned us because they could they call everybody in City Hall and say, how do you feel about this tiny house village that is facing eviction by the city? And uh, so then they, they wreck your tiny house village and then go on to the next story. This one right here is a cool tiny house. Just, what, what's its story? This nice little modernist uh, shingle shack over here, that's the thing that got me the $1,000 a day, six months in jail uh, love letter from the city of Berkeley for letting my friend put that on land I owned in Berkeley. Liberal, progressive doesn't mean, I don't know, white-knuckle totalitarian freaks. The way the, the mechanics of the enforcement is, I'm a landowner, somebody has a shingle shack on my land, they say, hey, landlord, or hey, landlord, evict that person, or we'll you know, fine you and put you in jail. 
and then that person is sleeping on the sidewalk and they say, hey, cop, go arrest that person on the sidewalk. And the cop says, I can't do that. That person has rights. And they say, go do it anyway. And, and then uh, eventually a judge says, hey, you can't do that. That person has rights. And that's, that's how, that's how any, everybody ends up like sleeping on the sidewalk because the cities are, it's very cheap for them to drive people off private property. And Berkeley's been doing that for 100 years. The culture of enforcement is very, very similar from every town, even though every town has very, very different rules. That's the really bizarre thing. So do you have people like preppers that come here? Are they coming to you saying, we love the tiny house, we love the pigs, what else do you have for us? It's mostly like urban moms who want their kids not to get sick, and they just want their kids to play with the cute animals. But now the animals are gone. Uh, they're out in the Delta, so some people are going out, out to the Delta where the animals are, and that's, that's pretty cool. And they can get in the pig pile. So the, the pigs sleep in a big pile, so it, it's a really nice thing to just, like, get into the pig pile with the pigs, you know. It's, it's fantastic. When you hear the sirens or anti-aircraft guns, you must get under cover at once. You must not stand staring up at the sky. That's the most dangerous thing to do. Take cover at once. But there's no need to rush. If you take things quietly, you will prevent panic in others. That was an instructional video from the 1940s in England on the importance of not looking up. Tim has found a huge audience on Instructables.com, where he has 226 how-to videos that give you step-by-step instructions on everything from how to make a gas mask out of a snorkel, how to sprout your own sprouts, how to stomp straighten your bicycle wheel, and how to run your car on hydrogen from aluminum soda cans. Later in the show, Tim will tell us how to make socks. Right now, Tim has just moved some bamboo, which is the subject of another very popular instructable from Tim. Well, this is a this is an eight by eight foot uh, clump of bamboo and a couple of yucca trees. This is actually the biggest thing um, that I've moved yet. It's about thirty feet high, and these plants uh, grew on pavement, and so this was really easy. Because uh, we just took a forklift and just like attacked it and skidded the th- whole thing over. And my friend came with his tow truck, and he's a virtuoso with a tow truck. And uh, it was actually really easy. Just put it, you know, skidding it with a forklift, winching it onto this rollback tow truck, and bringing it here. And now I've just fertilized it with um, my friend's magic uh, liquid fertilizer concoction. If you look over here, you can see a bunch of planter boxes. I get apple crates. This is what all the, the fruit in the Central Valley mm. gets yeah. transported in these like four by four foot plywood forkliftable boxes. So I, I line them with tarp and then I put a bulkhead fitting so I can hook it to a pipe. And so these, and then I put water cells from um, plastic containers underneath it. I do whatever. I do a lot of experimentation with these planters to make, basically make uh, forkliftable, uh, forkliftable gardens, forkliftable orchards. The Nomadic Orchard Instructable series. I noticed on the Instructables you have a lot, lot of stuff relating to boats. There's a lot of freedom to be had on the, on, on the water. The land animals are much less territorial about the water. Also, they don't have to worry about oppressing your human rights because Mother Nature will do that for them. If I had a hammer, I'd hammer in the morning. Brenna, Tim and I drive to East Oakland to NIMBY, the Bay Area's largest maker space, where we meet with Snook, Clody and Gage. The 60,000 square foot space provides makers a place to create in a collaborative environment. The name of the space, NIMBY, stands for Not In My Backyard. 
NIMBYism as a political movement is about wealthy, generally white communities fighting to stop everything from sewage treatment plants to tiny house villages to maker spaces from ending up anywhere near their golf courses and country clubs. Today we visit painters, set and prop builders, glassblowers and car mechanics, along with computer programmers all making cool stuff. Okay, where are we now, Tim? So we're at NIMBY, which is the Bay Area's biggest and probably oldest makerspace. And it's run by a totally sweet guy named Snook. Makerspaces such as this are a solution to the problem of providing cheap, accessible workplaces and places where people be, can be creative. Why is Oakland like the epicenter of this? Jerry Brown, when he was uh, mayor of Oakland, he had an initiative to encourage the zero commute uh, lifestyle and to enable um, 10,000 live-work conversions to basically let people work in their studios or live in their workplace. At the time, there were all of these um, former industrial sites. Tell us about the space we're in right now. This is a big uh, butler building, a, a big steel building. There's some creative work happening right now. It looks like someone is making a giant pool table jacuzzi bed thing over there. It's part of your mission to get more people involved in making. Are people just so delighted with the perfection of the stuff that they're consuming that they never want to modify it with their own hands? People look pretty prosperous, but they're uh, living in the present, but not in a good way. They don't have any say anything. So what if somebody doesn't want to pay that person all of that money to, I don't know, sit in a chair, push buttons, whatever it is that people do with all these jobs that is not producing food, clothing, and shelter? Um, how are they how are they going to get that food, clothing, and shelter? You know what's your reluctant prognostication on where we're headed as a planet? As a planet, the hot places will get hotter, the 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 wet places will get wetter, the dry places will get drier. the um those with um, means will move away from the disasters. And what gives you optimism? Well, uh, to quote my friend Kate Ricky, we'll be fine. So she's a climate modeler, and I asked her about all of this doom and gloom stuff. And every time I asked her, it's like, oh, we'll be fine. Well, what about the Southeast? Well, people probably shouldn't live in the Southeast, but we'll be fine. What she means is humans will not go extinct. So that's, that's optimism. What optimism is, is humans will not go extinct. I was just watching a history of the siege of Leningrad, and that is very, you know, it starts off, oh, it's a prosperous city. People are shopping for shiny shoes. And before long, you know, they're concealing bodies so they can get ration cards and dying in the streets of starvation. And looking back, wow, they really should have bought a bunch of cans of lard. Like, they should have spent all their money on lard. I'm just trying to have a lot of friends. Because Brenna, Brenna was fascinated as we were driving up to meet with you. She was like, I wonder what Tim's done with the lard. I was like, why the fuck is Brenna? Brenna, why were you interested in Tim's lard? I want to put the lard in my pie crust and see how it tastes. So purely... It's crispy. Crispy pie crust with lard. And that's probably how Tim makes friends. He was just saying he wants lard to make friends. I, could, I, didn't, I thought it was like he was prepping for the Armageddon, but it's really to make friends with you so that you can make better pie crust, so that you can make... So that everyone can eat pie and be friends. Yeah, it's really good lard. I cooked this sheep with, uh, with a lot of hot pepper, and uh, it, it kind of made the lard orange. So one of the, the instructables that had the most caveats at the beginning was on how to make raccoon soup. And a lot of, like, li a lot of people wrote in saying how disgusted they were and how they liked you, but they just couldn't believe that you were making raccoon soup. 
people never know how they're going to react to something. If it's something they haven't experienced before, it's impossible for anyone to to re- to predict how they're going to react. You know, they might think, "Hey, I would love to." murder an animal and mutilate it and just like gorge myself on its entrails. But then when they really come down to it, you know, they might not like it that much. Do you spend most of your time sleeping outdoors? I pretty much work until I'm filthy and exhausted every single day until I can't function very well. And um, and then I just kind of collapse on whatever the nearest, you know, vaguely horizontal surface is. Talking of collapse, do you think that's where our society is headed? We can aggressively collapse our own lives and proceed directly to the primary reinforcers or the bare necessities, right? Like food? It is not possible to exceed the yields done by skillful hand gardening. What industrialization does, it's, it's more yield for labor input. It's a big machine. It is chemical sprays that kill everything before you're plowing. Your yields are not higher than if you are mulching and composting and growing it by hand. So the actual the amount of population that can be fed on a given piece of land is much greater with, without those big machines. So there will be this move back to the countryside. It happens in plague. It happens in supply disruptions. It happens in, in economic whatever dislocations, and it happens in epidemics of lifestyle mental illness where people have a meaningless button-pushing, high-stress life, commuting their lives away. So, you know, this sort of idea of collapse where you're flattening the pyramid and you're proceeding directly and you're not monetizing one activity to, you know, gratify manufactured needs, you know... Other countries that are not obsessed with GDP and are not obsessed with whatever return on capital, um, they've, they've like the Norwegian economists, they invented the concept of human capital. The Bhutanese have gross national happiness. Hurricane Andrew supposedly ended a recession because the destruction was counted under whatever their standard accounting practices as consumption, and that was economic activity and that's prosperity. Just take it all and burn it. You got these two trends, collapse, environmental collapse, and automation. The cool thing about where we are right now at NIMBY is people are gratifying themselves by building things with their hands, not letting a machine do it for them. Doing anything that you want to do is 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 direct economic value. There's not an exchange, right? When your hands have to build something and you get to build something, you're, you know, you're living well. That's, that's for you, living well. Technology, to me, is the substitution of capital for labor. When the interest rate is low, the financial part of capital is cheap, then you will create some technology to substitute capital for labor. And it has the, t- the two functions of substituting for labor, but also it increases the productivity of the remaining workers, so then you can afford to pay them more. And then there's this economic effect it has a name where steam engines, the more efficient they got, the more coal they consumed because it became economic to employ steam for many, many more tasks. So technology has this perverse effect. The rising tide really does float all boats. Well, here, people don't have the boats. And so what happens to in a rising tide to people who don't have boats? They, you know, they go under. And that's what we see in all these homeless camps on the sidewalks here. Those were the people who went under. They couldn't pay the minimum amount cost of housing. Their income wasn't enough for that. There are ready solutions to housing people that need to be housed. And yet 
self-proclaimed progressive cities in the country like Berkeley won't allow you to put a tiny house on a piece of property. Like, how, how do we change that? Lawyers. We, we get lawyers in the camps. <laughs> you know, we have to sue them. Apparently, that's our system, that um, it's an adversarial system, and the people on the city who oppress pe- who break the federal law and oppress people's rights and violate all of these federal decisions, apparently, in our system, they can't be made to obey the law. You know, when the authorities break the law, the citizens have to sue them. I've spent all these years in all these city hall meetings, and everybody tells me what I want to hear, and things get worse. As far as I can tell, I would say nothing changes except things get worse. The Bay Area is the Mount Everest of artificial scarcity of shelter. So, Brenna, what what stuff do you want to make? Do you have a like a maker instinct? Um, well, my maker instinct is more around like food type items. I like finding recovered vegetables. That's great making soup, making pie, that kind of thing. I'll feed the makers. I made shoes. I'd like to make some more shoes, running socks. So I've got a little maker in me. Tim has an instructable on how to make socks. I have this way to make socks. It's like, because it's like, wow, what a great thing. The difference between having lousy socks and cold feet and having like unlimited free socks that you can make for yourself anytime really, really quick. That's a big difference. So give us a preview on, on what your instructable on socks like how, how do you make how do you make plentiful socks that are warm and especially now it's getting a little bit cold and the number one thing i read that homeless people want is socks so remember that time when the airline you know canceled your ticket and just robbed you they owe you a few blankets so just help yourself it's included in the price of your ticket and basically you just fold them over and shove them through a sewing machine have a zigzag machine and you do have the, set the needle so it s- misses the outside of the cloth half the time. You you just do that, and then you when you open it, it's like a Mobius zigzag where it's stitched up like a baseball, and it's like a there's no raised seam. I was really impressed with Tim because like a lot of his instructables are around sewing, which I was like, that's so cool. There's not like sewing seems like it's gone out of vogue. I know. I don't even know where I'd find a sewing machine. I grew up with one. I like the cr- hand crank, you know? Those are fun. Yeah, they're actually the older ones are more indestructible. I'm sure they are. I have this 100-year-old sewing machine, which is perfect. You know, there are still factories making this exact sewing machine. Um, and how is it that this sewing machine that's 100 years old, not only the actual object is still perfect, but the design is still perfect. Meanwhile, like a car you know, just kind of like falls apart just from sitting. Is this built-in obsolescence that you're talking about? The head of GM, his insight was that to compete with Henry Ford to make uh, automobiles into a fashion item where you, in order to stay up to date, you would buy a new car every single year. And they had the planned obsolescence, which was partly a, a fashion, you know, marketing thing. But it was also like an engineering thing, like really engineered to fail. And they worked on this for many, many years, and um, it reached its highest uh, point of refinement with the 1983 Chevy Citation. It looked exactly like a Prius, and every single part of that thing just kind of like stopped working in four and a half years. I am surprised there isn't more of a like consumer uprising. When things break, like because they're designed that way, I would have thought it would be like people would be pissed off. 
We are pissed off when things break. However, I try to believe that it's just broken and that it wasn't planned that way. I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist. It's reality. It is made to break. I guess the solution is just buy less shit. There are some things, like my hot water heater, which breaks every six years or eight years, probably. And that's really hard to fix. It's also hard to live without. This planned obsolescence works because the person making that purchasing decision only cares about whether it works while they have it. And the secondary market is unimportant. And certainly for the company, they want to eliminate the secondary market. They want everyone to have to buy a new thing. Is that why you think policy is more effective than technology? Well, as technocrats, it's always tempting to look for a technical solution to every problem because that's our hubris and our pride that, oh, we're so clever and nerdy. We can just like nerd our way out of everything. But when you have a problem, which is like a city employee is spying through my fence and writing me saying they're going to send me to jail for six months if I let some person, you know, sleep in my yard. Well, I could try, you know, it's kind of a nonlinear approach to think that I'm going to have a technical solution. What's my technical solution to that? I don't know. You could surveil them with your own drone. Uh, take their picture and post it on YouTube and make a lot of money, you know, on a channel that shows bureaucrats, you know, telling people to make homeless people sleep on the sidewalk. You heard it first on Podship Earth, Tim's latest invention. YouTube revenue sharing of activist videos. <laughs> okay, let's go and talk to these sculptors. If I had a hammer, hammer in the morning time. Next, we meet with Claudie Kate and Gage Coleman, who are making a sculpture of guns at the NIMBY Makerspace in East Oakland. How did you both get involved in NIMBY? Oh, I came here eight years ago. Um, I was looking for a art space. Um, and I found this awesome place. I loved it so much that I became a full-time volunteer. I'm here pretty much uh, all the time. So, Gage, tell us about the, the sculpture, the many-faceted gun sculpture. So, this sculpture is for an organization, uh, United Players and Art of Peace. They take uh, guns from the buybacks and they decided to turn into art instead of just throwing it in the garbage. And how did you think about the piece, like as you were developing it? We don't know gun that much, and we did not know how they cut them and stuff. Gage uh, decided to insert like a driftwood uh, and then uh, burl wood into the piece, so it has some nature influence to it. It's a beautiful art challenge. It's really graceful. And from far away, I saw this structure and shape, and it looks like a tree, and then I got closer, and I was very disturbed seeing all these guns I'm yeah especially in the present day and all this news we've been hearing recently constant shootings like I had this like visceral reaction to seeing your piece there wow thank you that's uh, that's a good compliment because if it makes uh, people think a little bit more about the situation and everything we're happy that means we accomplished something um, positive in the world and that's the whole thing about this, this movement, Art of Peace. It's to make people think and make people see there's a problem and we need to address it. How do you think about being a maker? Is it different than being a sculptor? I think maker is the larger umbrella that sculptor falls under. So we make sculptures and we make all sorts of stuff. Some people make robots. You know, Some people make solar panels, which is making big 3D objects. We do props for films and special events, too, so we make 
all kinds of things. We touch pretty much everything except electronics. What other people are in the NIMBY space and like how do you feed off their creativity? Well, it's better now. Uh, before it was a lot more like uh, people that were uh, working on cars and more mechanical and things like this. Uh, but within the last year, we got more artists, which is a lot more fun because if we can share uh, knowledges uh, and sometimes when people need help, they come to us. When we need help, we go to them. And it's a, it, it builds a, a very nice sense of community and, you know, sharing knowledge is always nice. And is most of both of your work about reuse? We, we, can, we can make art out of anything. And we like to try new materials all the time, too. Like, bring it on. We like it. We go and meet with Michael Snook, who founded NIMBY with zero funding back in April of 2004. His hard work and dedication have built a boundlessly creative facility that's withstood the test of time. Countless major works at the Burning Man Festival over the years have benefited from Snook's knowledge, resources, and assistance. His extensive connections in the construction and shipping industry have enabled the procurement of materials and resources, making impossible purchases affordable. NIMBY, and I'm sure it will continue to be, is like a magnet for people who just want to make their own stuff. Like, tell us a little bit about the maker movement. Most of us are tormented with ideas and you know, you have to make be always making something. So with NIMBY, we have a shared wood shop and steel shop for welding and sheet metal and all that, and a machine shop. And you can just run a space and work with a whole bunch of different like-minded people um, and hopefully it, uh, not have to buy all the tools yourself. So we try to keep it cheap. We've got techie people building electric cars, and uh, we've got an urban pot now and all kinds of fun, interesting stuff. I get to see it being made by all the crazy crazy. Uh, geniuses out there. Sometimes you don't recognize the genius in the beginning. You're always being shocked and surprised. We probably have five or 600 people a year through here, especially in the build season. Can makers help save the planet? Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, at least at NIMBY, most everything we use is recycled material. We recycle a lot. So most people think of NIMBY as not in my backyard. Is that yeah. the same NIMBY? Yeah, every time we started a project, we'd eventually get in trouble for working in a garage or a parking lot or something like that. So we thought it was a funny name. It's kind of a sad name. But now you found a home. Uh, sort of. We have to leave this year. We'll be uh, hopefully finding a new home in the next month or so. The city of Oakland made growing marijuana illegal in the entire industrial swath rather than just somehow limiting it. Um, so the prices have tripled, quadrupled. We can't generate enough money to compete with the $4 a square foot. That is a bizarre unintended consequence of marijuana legalization is that the creative spirit of makers is getting forced out. I'm not sure if it's unintended or not. We thought we were secure. We had a long lease. Everybody liked us. So, Tim, what's going on here? What's, what's your take? Uh, our financial system is largely real estate ba backed. And there's a, there's a tipping point that we've apparently reached where um, land speculation and holding things vacant um, drives up value. And then the, the, the micro-regulation, you know, that makes the, the, the cost of construction higher and higher. Thanks so much to Brenna Sheldon, Tim Anderson, Michael Snook, Claudie Cates, and Gage Coleman for showing us the joy of making, repurposing, and taking back our connection to the actual material world. Everyone we met was working hard, coming up with creative solutions. They were dirty and happy. When the age of consumption ends, the makers will be there to show us the way. 
The fact that liberal cities like Berkeley won't allow people who own land to put up tiny houses for people who are currently homeless shows how fundamentally things need to change. We need to work with the maker community to help turn this around. In the meantime, when you get the urge to make something, know that there's probably a community nearby that is standing ready with open arms to help. Next week, we talk with Chad Hansen about fire myths, like the often repeated line that fires are now burning so hot that they're creating moonscapes. Is that true? We'll find out. Thank you so much for being part of the Podship Earth journey. A big thanks to sound engineer Will Wilkins, who is still kindly helping out while Rob Spate is on the world's longest vacation in Mexico. Thanks also to producer Nancy Ferranti, executive producer David Kahn, and from me, Jared Blumenfeld, go make something great happen this week. Hold up. 